Well, hello, everybody. Hello, Pinnacle in the house. And hello, Pinnacle online. And I am delighted to be with you. Uh, these are fewer and far between in these days, but I'm very delighted to see you. And some of you I can even recognize above your masks. So, so that's a good thing. Last week, Michael took us into a world of bifocals and telescopes because we talked last week from this pulpit about seeing and how seeing gets us ready for the Christ child, right? We went to our eyes last week. This week, we're going to compare what it is to have a watch that works with having a watch that doesn't work. So a working watch versus a broken watch because we're going to be looking at time today. So, in the interest of moving toward that, I go to a time passage from the Apostle, the Apostle Paul. I'm going to start at verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5 and go through chapter 6, verse 2. So let's listen together for the word of God. So if anyone is in Christ, Paul writes, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And here we get to time. As we work together with him, we urge you also, not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Working watches, broken watches. Working clocks, broken clocks. One of the funniest songwriters that I know is Lyle Lovett, a Texas boy. Some of you are nodding your head and know him. Others of you just haven't lived yet. <laughs> he's clever and he's funny, and especially in a song he calls church. And in that song, you and I get a little peek at the difference between a working watch and a broken watch. The, the song starts out, I went to church last Sunday, and it's a real kind of bluesy sound, kind of big sound. I went to church last Sunday so I could sing and pray, but something quite unusual happened on that day. Now, church had started right on time, just like it does without a doubt, and everything was all just fine 
except when it came time to let us out. <laughs> you know, the, the preacher, he kept preaching. He told us, I have one more thing to say. Children, better, before you think of leaving, you better think about the judgment day. So here's a, a crowd full of people in a congregation listening to a sermon and watching their watches. Because their watches work. And the story goes on. He preaches and he preaches. And the, the verses describe how people are fading because they're so hungry and, and, and they, they haven't had any food. And so you've got people fainting in the choir and, and all these things going on. It's, and, and finally our song singer, our narrator in the song says, I, I made up my mind. And he climbs into the choir loft. He says, this, this could go on forever. He climbs into the choir loft and convinces the choir to say, sing to Lord, let the praises be. It's time for dinner now, let's go eat, right? <laughs> and so the choir comes in to save the day, but that doesn't stop the preacher yet. So a little dove from heaven comes down and lands right next to him along with a fork and knife. You can see this is a farcical song, but it ends with, the moral of my story is clear. If a preacher preaches long enough, even he'll get hungry too. <laughs> watch that works and a watch that doesn't works, work. And, and here we have side by side people who are tapping it and people who are ignoring it or a person who is ignoring it. The ancient Greeks knew those two things. The ancient Greeks had a word that we all know, chronos, chronological, chronometer, right? Chronos is consecutive time that we mark with minutes. So the, the language of chronos is the minute. That's the unit of measure. And it involves finite time, things that happen and get over, and then other things that happen and get over. It's just counted out. It's when church should start, it's when church should end, it's your schedule that you, that you sit with in the morning, it's how many shopping days till Christmas, it's all those things. Right? That's the word chronos. The other word that the Greeks had for time was of a different sort altogether. That word was kairos. So chronos was the clock. Kairos, your watch may as well be broken. Because these are the times that Wes actually introduced with the kids a bit. These are the times when you forget about the clock, right? These are the times when you just keep rolling and you don't see time go by. Those eternal moments. So, so in Greek uh, sort of images, in the way the Greeks understood these two words, Kronos, when they imagined him, looked a lot like the Grim Reaper. Think about it. We have deadlines, right? Are any of you working on deadlines this week? I, I mentioned shopping days till Christmas. Well, it's different in a world where you have to send everything, right? And, and it's a, a different in a world where supply, lines, uh, supply chains are off a bit. How many of you feel like you've already passed the deadline to send a gift somewhere, right? Deadlines, Grim Reaper. We kill time on the other end of things 
When time just seems like the kids in the car, we hope for some way to kill time. That's chronos, the kind of time that is measured. And we either, either experience kind of as fast and choppy and I got to get this done, uh, writing like I'm running out of time kind of thing, or it just keeps going, this time, this time. I you know, it's when we're waiting for someone. I, I was a kid, I was probably eight years old, and Russ Rosenbaum wasn't yet eight, but on Saturday, he, would, he was turning eight. So all week, I'm looking forward to Russ Rosenbaum's birthday. And it became kind of iconic in our family this moment. I'm looking forward to Russ's birthday, and I, I sit down in our little orange uh, dining room chair, and I look at our little home decorator's clock that has a little pendulum going back and forth. And I had been there a while when I, who had heard from my parents all through my life and from other people, it's an hour or two, it's an hour or two. I looked up at the clock and I said, Mom, only one more hour." Oh, come on, that's funnier than that. When you're waiting for something, time can take a long time, and that's chronos. When you're in the middle of something, time seems to go away. That's kairos. Right? T.S. Eliot marks chronos well. T.S. Eliot, in his poem, The Wasteland, pictures a woman who's waiting for her husband to come back from war, and it turns out it's coming closer to the time that he's going to get here, but she doesn't think she looks good enough for him, and she's trying to figure out, how am I going to prepare myself so he is actually pleased to see me? And, and, and in the background, as she's talking to her friend about this, in the background, the barkeep keeps saying, hurry up, please, it's time, it's closing, it's all, they're getting near closing, and she needs to figure this out, hurry up, please, it's time. Does life ever feel like that to you? Hurry up, please, it's time, deadlines impend. Or then there's on the other side, this sort of listless time that keeps passing and there doesn't get much done. Eliot covers that one in Proofrock, the love song of J. Alfred Proofrock, where he where he says, I, I measure out my life in coffee spoons. Right? In coffee spoons. We have these markers that get us through times that are less than significant to us. Right? That's chronos. And, and we all know that press. The imagery of kairos in ancient Greece is of a young, live, almost eternal-looking or immortal-looking image, right? It's always going to be there. It's, it, it's this sort of ever-present thing, Kairos. And, and if we want to get to it, we can go to another poet, W.H. Auden. W.H. Auden has a famous poem called Stop All the Clocks. Stop All the Clocks is the first line, and he rolls out, Stop All the Clocks, is his call for everyone put away the watches to get get out of time because his beloved has died and this is a moment of crisis this is a moment that ought to be lived in not passed by stop all the clocks he says because this is a time to stop right you and i have chronos and kairos and as 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 wes established down here God is with us in both of them. But in this season, here we are, 
living our daily lives, going and getting those gifts or ordering them online, however we're doing it. Here we are, Liz and I are fighting to get our letters out. Most of you are probably way ahead of us, but we've got our little Christmas cards and letters to send out, and we feel like, oh no, the Grim Reaper is coming in a way, right? Some of you are running that same chase. This is a season when Kronos gets a hold of us, doesn't it? It gets a hold of us if we're busy because we've got so much to do and we're, we're trying to get it done in time. It gets, us hold, it, gets us, it gets a hold of us if we're not busy and we haven't got the usual family with us or we haven't got the usual events. Our stage in life or our conditions in life make it so that time seems to drag. There's a lot of chronos available in this season, Right? But we're working toward, we're living toward, and we're hoping toward the greatest chronos of all time. When the Bible gets a hold, uh, uh, the greatest kairos of all time, when the Bible gets a hold of kairos, this concept, it goes long. And it goes long in two ways. Right? Kairos can either be a moment that is full up, or a moment that we've long awaited, or is sort of a must-stop-and-do moment. Let me hit the first one. Um, a moment that is full up. So, in Isaiah 6, Michael preached last week on an Isaiah passage, so I'll go there. Isaiah 6, the prophet describes the moment when God called him. He says, it was the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he describes how the hem of God's garment filled the temple. It was so large, the vision was so huge. And, and he goes on to describe this exchange in which he's called and he says, I'm, I'm not up to this. And God returns with, I will be with you. And, and in that moment, I guarantee you that Isaiah wasn't, wasn't thinking at all about his next agenda item. Right? These are the moments that fully occupy us. Think of Mary and the angel. I bet she couldn't tell you what time that angel came and called her to be the mother of the Savior. Paul on Damascus Road. I doubt he knows when that happened or even how long it lasted. The Bible is full up of these moments. Lydia getting baptized in the river outside Philippi you can imagine this sort of, we've got a baptism coming, you can imagine this sort of absorption of time, this stop and do and feel and large, large, large kairos, right? So one side of this is moments that are so full, and I know that you're leafing through your mind's memory and finding those for you. Times like, like Wes was helping the kids remember that just flew by because you didn't even think of clock, right? Times that were so full up, whether with grief and sorrow or with joy and, and magnificence. Kairos is a time when people are full up. Yesterday I was with the high school boys from Brophy, uh, the preparatory school in Phoenix, the Jesuit preparatory school. And during one part of the day, one of their teachers, uh, Drew Rao, took them down to the little creek and they sat on rocks and he took them through a meditation sequence, right? He took them through time. We're in this beautiful creation of Sedona, right? And, and he took them through meditation. And in this canyon, 
the boys just listened to his promptings and did the thinking and the, and the contemplations that he described. I happened to be in the, in the room we were meeting in next at the end of this. I got quickly there, and I heard one after another of the boys come in and say, man, that seemed like five minutes, and it was a half hour. Right? These are the moments we get caught up in. These are Kairos moments. There are some of those available in Christmas, aren't there? And I suppose our project is to not let the Kairos moments get edged out by the Kronos moment. Let, let me repeat, God is with us in both kinds. But you and I can get so caught up in what needs to be done and what has to be done by what date. We can get so caught up in the chronology of things, in our timetable that has one axis, that we forget that there's a possibility that in times there, the the vertical axis is just going to intrude. That God is going to show up in ways that we didn't expect. And sometimes we edge those out and don't make ourselves available to them and we miss them. So you and I are far enough out from Christmas to realize again that that's a temptation. Or that our gloom and counting hours because they're not as fun as they used to be or not as full as they used to be is another form of missing the possibility of openness to something we didn't expect. So if we're going for an experience in which Kairos makes its way in, you and I have to be a little disciplined. We have to be ready for them. We have to be watching for them like magi watching for Look with eyes that are bound to see, that are dying to see, that are awaiting this coming. Not just on the 24th or the 25th, but in the moments we have between now and then. I mentioned W.H. Auden earlier. He knew both Kronos and Kairos. And in one of his most famous poems, he put them both in play side by side. It's called a Christmas oratorio for the time being. There's time in that title, right? For the time being, a Christmas oratorio. And in it, he, he describes the aftermath of Christmas. Right, the days after it, when we're readjusting to normal, do you, you know these, right? The times when we've had a holiday and we're out of it and now we're getting back to the normal. And here's how he describes it in his, in his poem. For the time being, here we all are. Back in the moderate Aristotelian city of darning our socks and the 815, where Euclid's geometry and Newton's mechanics would account for all our experience. And the kitchen table exists because I scrub it. But to those who have seen the child, however dimly, however incredulously, the time being is, in a sense, the most trying time at all of all. And here's where he says, Because we are remembering the stable where for once in our lives everything became a you and nothing was an it. Remembering the stable where for once in our lives everything became a you and nothing was an it. 
Auden is reflecting on that moment of birth, the time in the manger, the time of the, of the wise men, the time of the shepherds, the time when everything stopped and people were people and mattered to one another and everything changed. Luke puts it another way. And I didn't make this our passage because it would be stealing thunder to read it out this morning. But Luke puts it another way. In chapter 2 of his gospel, he simply has the angels say, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Friends, don't miss Kairos. Don't miss it then. Now. We don't know how it will come. We don't know when it will come. But if we're open, it will come. Amen.